This is the Negotiate X Podcast, show number 51, part B. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on the Negotiate X podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Travis Cyphers, an Army officer and West Point negotiations professor. If you haven't already checked out part A of this episode, be sure to do that first. Let's jump in the conversation. Before we start today's episode, just need to let you know that, uh, again, that these are the views of Major Travis Cyphers and not of that, or not that of the Army. So the West Point Negotiation Project, it was established in 2009 to serve as the outreach that we had kind of already discussed. But what are some of the other things that, that y'all are doing? Uh, just because I think it's so great to highlight the different opportunities that the military members have to for access. Yeah, in my role as the director of the West Point Negotiation Project, honestly, I'm inundated with requests to support negotiation training from all different types of units. So I do a lot of outreach to military units to teach negotiation principles. And most of those, to, to be honest, are with our advisors. So whether it's the civil affairs community, which I, I think we're going to talk about a little bit, the special forces community or our security force assistance brigades, going to those units that are getting ready to step out the door where they're going to have to negotiate right with foreign partners that they can't necessarily order around on you know their training how they're training and what implementation looks like the event that i'm honestly proudest of though is the west point negotiation project cadet workshop and so it's something that aram started while he was here and, and has grown over by different directors of this project but covid could have honestly killed the 2020 we canceled the workshop because of because of covid and in 2021 we ran it here but with just USMA cadets and it was a much more scaled down version as we discussed in my intro i'm not a west point graduate i'm a commissionee from an rotc university the university of wisconsin lacrosse a very small regional campus that so many of these opportunities that rotc cadets just pale in comparison to what's available here at USMA to, to West Point cadets. And very passionately, I pushed to reinvigorate this, this workshop. So last year, we were able to bring almost 100 cadets together, about 50 USMA cadets, and then 47 ROTC and Air Force cadets uh, attended. And I was really excited to provide this to give an opportunity to these ROTC cadets and an opportunity I would have never seen as, a, as I was going through my cadet experience. The event was great because it exposed cadets from different commissioning sources who are gonna be future officers together uh, in the United States Army, but might not understand what other people's experience looks like. Brought them here to West Point. We put them through a two and a half day immersive experience in negotiation, and we're able to get some pretty amazing resources for it. So this this last year, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, came in was our keynote speaker, and he was phenomenal. So much about what he talked about, especially the negotiations they have with the 
Basketball Players Association and, and the union for the players, how they think about those negotiations, preparation for them, how they build consensus and build relationship. You can see that the NBA is just, it has a better relationship with its union today than baseball and the NHL and particularly baseball who almost lost its season this year because of their negotiation with the, the players. So those two things going out to units and then running that workshop, I think have just been phenomenal opportunities that I've been really proud and happy we could keep, keep going. And I will just make sure again, in terms of kind of a link for undergraduates that are, that are interested uh, and ROTC students that want to reach out, how, how they can contact you. Uh, building off that, you've also last couple of years led a team that's competed in the National Undergraduate Negotiation Competition. Yeah, we have. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's an interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about. So Baylor has hosted this National Undergraduate Negotiation Competition each of the last few years. COVID, like everything in life, interrupted it for one year. But last two years, I've been able to take cadets to participate last year in person. And what's fantastic about it is I've taken cadets from my course. And the cadets, by the time they get to that competition, they can understand preparation. They can think through my interest and the other party's interest. How do we find joint options and how do we find legitimacy both in the case and through research? But what's really different and exciting about that is to see them work through negotiation strategy. So if this, you know, as we lay out the simulation, they're given a, a negotiation simulation and roles they're going to try to meet the interests of that person in the role, working through with them on, all right, if this interest is what is most important to the other party, what are the options we have to focus on? If that's number one, but if it's this other thing over here, that's number one, how does that shape the negotiation? What do we want to bring up? And then talking through, what do we want to present first? What way do we want to present it? That negotiation strategy aspect has been so fun to get into that depth with cadets that when I have 66 cadets in class, I just can't get to that level in each negotiation with them. But taking cadets there to compete with has been fantastic. And then obviously as Baylor brings all these different, there's 20 some teams last year, I had opportunities to meet with all those professors and how do they teach negotiation? What cases do they use? How do they structure their course? It's been both extremely rewarding to see cadets be successful there, but then just my own learning and, and uh, understanding as well. Yeah. And the, th the things you just described, the, the three of us could probably say, we learned that much later in our professional careers. Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. I would challenge any listener and tell me that you were learning that thought process when you were 20, 22 years old, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Senior corporate leaders who still can't do that. Yeah. 22 year old Travis, I promise you was not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, neither, neither was I. Hey, listen, you've, you've now led the negotiation project for over three years. I believe that makes you the longest tenured director I was for two and a half years, so I hand off the title to you, my friend. So I think the cool thing about that being there for so long now is you've probably seen a lot of things change. You're seeing, you know, some relationships kind of develop and, you know, bear fruit. What sort of changes are you seeing as you work both at West Point, also your outreach with military units, especially now that we've, you know, we've left Afghanistan, maybe the world shift and focus is a little different. How are you seeing changes in terms of 
you know, application of negotiation skills or the context in which our future leaders are going to need to negotiate? Yeah. So first, I feel like I have to address the tenure point, and let's hope that that's a good thing. Um, I'm not quite. I'm not quite <laughs> sure right now. But to be honest, it's been an incredible honor. I tell people all the time that my life is fundamentally different and I think about problems differently because of this job. And as I go on, you know, you're a decade removed from this role, Aaron, not to, not to age you in any way, but right. Like pull out the cane or something here. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but like, you know, your involvement in this topic is so shaped by your experience here in this role, right? Continuing forward and going forward, the rest of my life is going to be shaped by having been here and been here this long in this in this role. Your question's an interesting one. And it's one I've thought a lot about over the last three years. You know, I grew up in an army fighting counterinsurgency fights, an army that was in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And as you're well aware, because you did it, right? WPNP was founded to help officers and NCOs in Iraq and Afghanistan better negotiate with our civilian counterparts there, our foreign partner forces and our military partners there. And as an army, we have fundamentally shifted, as DOD, we have fundamentally shifted back to a near peer competition. And We have to understand, though, that we still need these negotiation skills. Right now, DOD is investing heavily in our relationships in Poland and the Baltic states because we're going to need those partners to counter any further Russian aggression. And like we'll set aside the China situation and not address that now. But whether it's here, it's in the Pacific, we need those partners. And that means that there's going to be an officer on the ground working with a NATO counterpart or another foreign counterpart that still needs to understand how to build consensus how to influence op, which we talked about earlier, and achieve outcomes when they can't force or coerce our partners to do so. And by definition, that is a negotiation. How am I going to get you to outcomes that are beneficial for both of us, that meet your concerns, that meet your motivations, and still meet the mission that I've been tasked to do? Right. I would say that also in addition to it, that the shift away from Iraq and Afghanistan has generated a significant demand signal from our advisor units, whether that's civil affairs, special operations forces, security force assistance brigades, because their mission has gone back to a much more traditional role of building partner capabilities and are less focused on direct contact missions. And so in my role as director of the West Point Negotiation Project, so much of my outreach to the United States Army and active duty units has been with those communities to help them be successful in those missions. And here in a month, I'm headed to help train a civil affairs reserve unit that's getting ready to deploy to Europe. And, you know, all of us can think through what some of their mission requirements are going to be over there. And in the spring, I'm headed to do some work with some special forces units that are going to be doing very similar missions, but in a different part of the world. And how to help them be successful when success is helping our partners be successful, not necessarily any actions that they're doing themselves. Yeah, the concept of by, with, and through, right? Yeah. Which is has a nice translation even to the corporate world as we as we work with a supplier or, or, or you know, someone else, a client, a customer, and we're equally concerned about their success because that greater success for them is greater success for us. Yep. Yep. Absolutely agree. 
So I know that you already highlighted the MBA commissioner coming to speak to the cadet workshop, but what are some other highlights of the program, either from training other military units, as you kind of highlighted, or, you know, any writing, any other speakers that you've been able to bring into the program? I, th- I think I'll tackle that question on in two different ways. The first, very luckily, I think the greatest impact I've been able to have in this role, and this is not meant to talk about you know me being successful it's talking about other people who have taken what we're learning here or teaching here and applying it to the united states army and how it executes the greatest impact has been helping the civil affairs branch identify challenges with their negotiation training and helping them restructure that training pipeline to mirror the principal negotiation concepts that we teach here at the united states military academy admittedly i, I was not the main effort on this it was a former west point negotiation project fellow that came up under Aram's tutelage, but I was able to serve it really as a principal advisor and lend them credibility in, hey, you should do it this way. This is what we teach here at the academy. So the army should reflect. It was it was a source of, you know, it was an objective criteria. It was a standard for them to bake their argument from. And I helped redesign that training curriculum and that doctrine for how they teach civil affairs soldiers to negotiate. Their mission, especially in today's world of soft competition, is so important. You know, they're really managing that civil military relationships for the United States Army. And you can imagine in both Eastern Europe and in the Caucasus region and in Southeast Asia, where those responsibilities are so important as we compete, right, with uh, other near peer or peer competitors. And to be able to help redesign that to give some legitimacy to it. And then to go teach the first couple of courses down there was a really good opportunity that I, I, I'm very grateful we could do. Beyond that, what's truly amazing about being at West Point is the people who are just willing to give their time to come in and talk with cadets. And as soon as an introduction is made to somebody that has some true experience in negotiation field, and I say, would you be interested in talking with cadets? Everybody's immediately on board. It's it's pretty amazing. I don't have to sell anything. It's been fantastic. But we've brought in some pretty amazing keynote speakers or different speakers over the last few years. So we talked to Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner. But beyond that, Mr. Bill Dirksen, who's a retired vice president of labor relations for Ford, came in and talked Ford's labor negotiations with the United Auto Workers Association and their union. We had Mark Shapiro, literally this week, the CEO from the Toronto Blue Jays was here talking with cadets and management about negotiations, finance, leadership, hiring processes, just incredibly intelligent and thoughtful man. Uh, We've had a managing director from BlackRock come in to talk negotiations from an acquisition standpoint. Representatives from both the Minnesota Twins and Vikings are going to be coming this fall to talk with cadets. And then our relationship with the FBI has been truly amazing where each summer we have the opportunity to put cadets through the FBI's 40-hour crisis negotiation course. And that's led to just some fantastic relationships with the FBI where uh, I went and attended the 80-hour national crisis negotiation course. I was the first DOD member in nine years to go have that opportunity. It's just some of the best training I've ever seen in my life, regardless of topic. And then we're taking cadets down there in 10 days, actually, to go interact with the FBI's crisis negotiation unit and how do they interact and work with the FBI's hostage rescue team so that domestically they can solve really complex problems without having to do it lethally. And so uh, just 
incredible opportunities and people being so willing to give their time here to cadets. That's a marvelous relationship, by the way, kind of a premier relationship with the FBI. I mean, that one goes back well over a decade now, and, and you've just matured it so nicely with what you're describing. And I got to congratulations on the work with the civil affairs and for folks who who don't know. I mean, they really are the kind of arm of the army that sh should be our premier negotiators, right? They're the ones that really should have if there's someone who's going to be honed in these skills. It's it's civil affairs folks. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, and kind of building off that, one of the challenges has always been alignment and in any sort of bureaucratic hierarchical sort of organization, getting everybody aligned on what's necessary and what's the language or what's the approach. And that problem has gone back for, for years on, on negotiation. Where, where do you still see opportunities or, or challenges with regards to making negotiation a core organizational competency within, within the military? What, what work are you still, are you still tackling? Cause I, cause I know you're not resting yet. You're, you're still leaning forward. Yeah. Unfortunately, Aram, a lot of the work that you were trying to influence a decade ago, it, it still exists now. Those, those problems uh, still exist. And Mark Shapiro had a, a great quote this week while he was here visiting me. I expressed how thankful I was. I had done some work uh, with a private organization and the senior leader was there the entire time, like very senior leader in the organization. And it surprised me because I have problems getting senior leaders in the army into the room when I'm running these unit trainings. And Mark said that uh, leaders assume they can, can negotiate well because they are leaders and negotiation is a process and anything that is a process can be improved. So the units that I train leave so much more prepared to negotiate with their foreign counterparts. And it's not because of my skill or not because I'm some incredible teacher, but it's because negotiation really is a process and it is a skill that can be learned, developed and improved. And the vast majority of soldiers that I work with, they leave those three, four day workshops so much more prepared to negotiate, not because of me, but because it's the first time that they've ever invested in that skill. And their eyes are now open to the fact that they can be more successful if they apply a process of preparation and conduct and review to it. And I don't know, a lot of leaders think that they negotiate well because they're leaders and they have experience, but they don't understand these other skills or tactics or ways that, to be honest, me as a 29-year-old senior first lieutenant or junior captain getting accepted to teach at West Point, I was like, wait, I, I can do that? and do that better. Uh, I can't even, I would love to go back and meet first Lieutenant Travis in Afghanistan, negotiating land use contracts with, with local Afghans and go just like, dude, you're doing this all wrong. All of it, all of it is wrong. So uh, unfortunately I, I think that it exists a little too, but that problem exists a little too broadly in the United States Army. So as you consider the application of negotiation skills beyond the military, how do you hope that the past and present cadets uh, we're going to be able to apply these in, in the corporate, nonprofit, or other sectors of their lives. I think that the greatest thing that I hope that they take away is a deeper skill to understand and communicate with other people. So much of life is a negotiation. And I want my students to be open to the fact that they might be wrong to analyze a situation and realize that a rational person might reach a completely different conclusion than they did. And be empathetic to that person's situation and conclusion and emotions around that. And if they have that, then 
yeah, I think they can tackle whatever problem is facing those two people and work to solve it as two people solving a problem instead of two people competing to win. And if they can leave with that in either their personal or their professional lives, like I'm going to be pretty happy. What a great summary of somebody who, who loves to teach and influence this next generation. What's next for you? You still have another year <laughs> teaching there and impacting military negotiations. Uh, is that right? And, and what's what's next for you, either in this field or something else? What can, what can you tell us? Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I have this semester and next semester, but the, the United States Military Academy model makes a lot of sense for many reasons. And it's set up to bring junior officers from, you know, junior company grade officers out of the force, give them education and put them in front of cadets. So cadets are learning from officers who look like and resemble and have the experiences of the officers the cadets are going to go work for. And that makes a lot of sense from a leadership standpoint, but unfortunately it means Travis has to go find another job in the United <laughs> States Army. And I don't know what that is. Uh, I transitioned to a functional area. I'm now going to be an Army strategist. You know, hopefully it's smart people trying to tackle tough problems and big problems for the United States Army. And I don't know where that assignment's going to be at. You know, the Cypress family has a, a lot of preferences, but we'll see if those preferences come to fruition and, and where it's going to be at. So, and the stress that comes with that unknown is, is obviously very welcome in the Cypress household right now. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Oh, yeah. I don't miss those days. Yeah. Sounds like there's some internal negotiations, right? We usually ask, by the way, usually say, how do these things show up at home? You get a chance to practice some of these skills uh, at home? Oh, yeah. So, Aram, I share the story in my class of the moment where I like realized that I thought of problems differently. And my wife might kill me for this one, but... <laughs> Maybe we just won't. We won't tell her we're going to air, air the program. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was actually teaching an MTT in Okinawa with my predecessor, working with some special forces that are stationed there. And I got a phone call from my sister saying, hey, we want to come visit, uh, like visit you at West Point, And this is what we're thinking, et cetera. And this is February 2020. So obviously none of this came to fruition because of, because of COVID. But this is our concerns and could you do this and could you do this and could you do this? And I said, sure. And I called my wife and said, hey, this is what they want. And she goes, well, why do they want that? And we're not going to do that. And like it was that <laughs> moment, Aram, I was like, oh, I'm in a multi-party negotiation right now. <laughs> and right, like what's the concern that's driving the ask? Why are you asking it? How can I meet that in a way that, you know, if it's financial or it's time or whatever it is, how can I meet that in a way that, gets all parties on board and, and comes with a solution that we're all working together. But it was a, it was a light bulb moment, Aram, where I was just like, oh, oh yeah, this is, no, this is a negotiation and I can take all of these things that I have learned and try to do this one better instead of just getting into an argument with my wife and then losing. And so, <laughs> yeah, uh, at home, uh, it's changed a lot. The opportunity to go through the FBI crisis negotiation course and how they teach active listening skills has just changed how I communicate with my family, right? And I have a 14-year-old daughter who I love dearly, but she's a 14-year-old girl and I'm dad. And sometimes she doesn't want to share those things with dad. And so how am I communicating with her in a way that, you know, hopefully encourages her to share a little bit more? These things have changed my behavior at home even. 
so humbly said. Thanks, Travis, for sharing that. And good on you for recognizing you were in a negotiation <laughs> in that moment with your wife. That's half the battle is recognizing, ah, this is a negotiation. Let me let me think. Let me just slow the process down for a moment, yeah, right? Yeah. And think about what I should do. So, Travis, that's going to have to be a book that you're going to have to write because Gary Nessner, me, Aram, none of us have ever had success with negotiating yeah. with our spouses. So I think you're the first guest that we've had on the yeah. podcast that's at least been successful in that realm. So you got to share your secrets in a book. Yeah. Is there anything that we did not ask you today that you think uh, we should have? And, you know, any other takeaways that we can give to the listeners? No, gentlemen, I'm just incredibly grateful that you would even ask me to come and share some of this stuff. For Aram to start off that, you know, a negotiation expert in the Army would, I don't know, maybe terrify some people that I, I've worked with over the years, but just honored that you'd have me in to talk and, and share a little bit of this with, with both of you and your listeners. And uh, to let you both know that your work here at West Point is hopefully still in good hands and progressing well. Thanks, Travis. Well, it's, it's really our, our pleasure. So many highlights. If I, you know, if I were to re recap, folks go back what Travis was saying about the importance of preparation and, and shaping, the, shaping the outcome that you're going to get to. Please listen to that. The idea that we negotiate every day as we try to you know, build consensus, negotiate up. These skills are applicable. Uh, what a wonderful thing that Travis and, and his colleagues at West Point are equipping our, our next generation of military leaders with these skills, both at West Point, but also throughout the Army. And then I just think the idea, the challenge there for leaders at the end, and I would say a leader of any organization, what a challenge. Because I'm a leader, does that automatically make me a, a great negotiator? If it's a process, are there things I can still learn? Uh, I was in a training a couple of weeks ago with a financial institution out of Boston. The most impressive thing about that day, it was a great day, great people, was that the CEO sat there and participated throughout mm -hmm. the entire day of training. And I'll tell you, what the, the way that engaged his people around him and his willingness to be humble and share and engage made all the difference. I really encourage our listeners who are leaders of organizations, consider that. Consider how you can get better and help your organization get better too. Well, that is it for us on today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We graciously appreciate it. If there's anything that we can help you with, you can go over to negotiatex.com or you can send us an email at team at negotiatex.com and we will take care of it. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.